Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you so much for tuning back in for this part three of the ongoing series that we are in the middle of, Festivals of Men or Feasts of the Lord, another biblical challenge to the Christmas holiday. And so thank you for tuning in. I hope that that this is resonating with some of you and may answer some questions and the, the primary function and purpose behind all of this is to get us to think about why we do what we do. It's just simply delivered like that. That's the most simple way I know to explain it is why do we do these things? I, my wife is, 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 is wonderfully quick to remind me, Joel, not everybody thinks about things like you. Not everybody scrutinizes what you do and don't do like you. I understand that. Everyone's different, and it's a beautiful expression of Yahweh's body. I, I get it. But, and, and equally so, right alongside that, if we have a strength, I would call it a strength of, you know what, because, you know, like this, I might say something to someone about, brother, have you ever thought about, like, why you do X in your life? They may never think about that, and their response has happened to me is, you know what? If you would have never asked me that, I don't know if I ever would have wondered why I do that in my house. And I'm glad you brought it up and asked a question. So that's my purpose is, is not to offend you or criticize Christmas just because I don't like it and I know the truth. I feel like this is what pleases the heart of the Father, and I want my whole life to be infatuated with preparing myself to present a living sacrifice body, heart, mind, and literal being to present it to Him in the way that brings Him pleasure, because that's what a sacrifice is. A sacrifice must cost us something. And friend, if you have or are considering giving up the Christmas holiday and all of its idolatrous traditions, friend, you're counting the cost. And I commend you for that because so many people are doing that. We walked away from Christmas about eight years ago, best I can remember, before we came in to feast and Sabbath and all the things that Father has added into our life. Before that, we walked away from holidays. We said, I studied them out and, and like, I said, I can't, I can't do these things anymore. These have no source in my father's ways. They, they don't have anything to do with him other than what they've been branded to worship him according to. But he never endorsed these things or asked us to do them. We're done. Now, it cost us greatly, of course, and it still does, as I shared in part one. Of course it does. But it's, I, I'm always talking about an exchange life. We live an exchange life. We give up this for his ways. We give up, like Yeshua the Messiah, the perfect hupogramos example carved out way for us to walk in. He showed us a life of self-denial. What did he always do? Which personified the Emmanuel reality, oddly enough. It's not just about the arrival of, of, of God with us. It's how God with us functioned. His example was perfection, showing us what? Not my will, Father, but your will. And that's my goal within this is if Christmas is not the will of the Father and he didn't instruct me to, to honor it, observe it, memorialize it, then I don't want to do it. 
I don't know why that's so hard. That's the simplified version. If we have made it something to present to him that he never asked for, it's idolatry. (laughs) It's idolatry. So let me ask you this, and then we'll get into the meat of part three here in this series. Let's talk about some tradition stuff. (laughs) Let's keep it lighthearted for a minute. Do they matter, traditions? Can we define what is good and pleasing and right? I'm going to keep redundantly asking this question that I posed in part one when I read off five questions that we're going to talk about, and this is the main one. Can we justify our endeavors as being okay if we write Christmas up here and we put a write what we do for traditions on a piece of paper and pin it to Christmas and say it's okay because that's my tradition. It's acceptable. It's okay. And if can we do that? Just pause for a second. Can we do that? Because all of our traditions are different in measure. Some do this, some do that, some don't do that. Well, that is idolatrous. I know that's idolatrous. Or I know Santa's not real. That's a lie. Or, you know, we could pick a number of things. We pick and choose how we choose to what? Celebrate this festival of man and make it godly. Does it matter how we ascribe purpose to the traditions of how we all celebrate Christmas? And let me throw you some examples of things that have happened in the last couple of days that I felt were a good example of my point. So I talked to a guy just yesterday. Do you know what his Christmas tradition is? Talked about what he was going to be doing. Every Christmas, he buys $500 worth of liquor and stays home at his house. And he slowly drinks liquor all day long, purposely in an increment that he can handle so that he doesn't become pass out drunk so that he can what? Enjoy his Christmas tradition. That is his Christmas condition uh, tradition. Now, is that okay? Is that ex- now? Well, who, who are you? Who are you to say that that's wrong? Well, the Bible says, uh, "Thou shalt never drink alcohol." Well, number one, it doesn't say that. And number two, who? Well, who am I to say that that's wrong? That's his tradition. If if the season the season is about joy and peace and enjoying yourself, seems to me that we could justify that for that gentleman, right? Buy your five. Well, he shouldn't even be spending that amount of money. You see what we do? Well, he should. He should feed the poor. Oh, okay. So, so his perspective on that guy's tradition. Well, he shouldn't be doing that. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? Okay, I do work on uh, cars. I'm in and out of cars at dealerships, and many of them have XM radio on, which is. Ugh. Boy, 10 seconds of moving a car, you'll, you'll get enlightened to culture real quick. But I heard ads as I was moving cars about yesterday for not a country Christmas, but a country Xmas. Okay, so it's a country channel. Hey, welcome to Satellite, you know, XM Radio, Country Xmas. And we're going to play Dwight Yoakam's, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not feeling creative enough to be to be silly today. Country Xmas. Is that okay? If you're a country fan, if you're just a good old country boy, would you listen to uh, uh, George Strait singing some country songs? 
about Christmas and stuff. Is that okay? Turned the dial a little bit. Another car I was in, Hair Nation. If anybody knows what that is, hair metal bands. I could go down that road all day long. I better turn the channel off real quick. But they said, hey, it's time for heavy metal Christmas right here on Hair Nation XM Radio. Serious whatever, serious satellite. Is that okay? It's Christmas. Well, that's not really. No, that's not Christmas. That's not really Christmas. Motley Crue can't sing about Christmas. It's about baby Jesus. Oh, then how can they sing about Christmas? Valid point, right? It, but is Christmas not all about traditions and joy? Again, what if my tradition is about drinking $500 worth of booze on Christmas Day and it brings me joy? Is it okay? Is it excusable? Who defines what is acceptable to bring this about? Who? Who defines it? <laughs> Are there any absolutes in this? In, re, in what regards, in what regard Yahweh says pleases him about the days of our life and these set-apart memorialized days specifically that we say are all about him? There's an answer to that. Is everything simply what we make it? After all, this is a this is a valid point. Aren't aren't wood, gold, silver, aren't these things in and of themselves okay? They're not inherently bad. They're not inherently evil because they exist. Is a is a fir tree that's out in the forest evil, idolatrous? No. Now, when it comes to a man cutting it down and putting it into his home and decorating it and putting gifts under it and attributing it worship in any way by by the centerpiece and the looking upon it and the lights and all these things and assuming that it worships God, ah, you're from my vantage point, my opinion, you're, you're teetering you're teetering on idolatry. But it's not idolatrous in the forest. You understand what I'm saying? It's not. It's not a an item of idolatry. Wood in a tree is not idolatrous by itself, but when a man sits down and carves it and puts it on his mantle and bows before it, it becomes an idol. You understand what I'm saying? It is only when these items are hewn into something identifiable and then ascribe profane worship that they become an idol. Especially when attributed to Yahweh and Yeshua. Herein lies my main point. We have taken inanimate things and designated them by our own definition to be objects of worship to Yahweh and Yeshua. And that, my friend, is biblical idolatry. Let me read that again. In my opinion, we have taken inanimate things... We could list all of them. Again, well, let's go back to the last episode. All of the things that come to mind when you think of the Christmas holiday season and, ho- and, and the Christmas spirit, and we've, we've, we've put them all in a package, and we've put baby Jesus on it. When we do that, I submit that I'm convinced that then we have made them objects of idolatry, just like... A piece of wood is not an idol until we make it what we want and present it to God or worship God through it. Then it is an idol. 
and we are partakers in idolatry. So what about what the Father says pleases him? Is there anything? Are we told anything that can bring him pleasure? I think we are. So let's move on. We have talked a little bit about American Christmas history. I want to make sure I'm on my right page here. I've got, I've got plenty. We talked about the Puritans and how they outlawed Christmas in the 1600s, and you could not celebrate the traditions of the Christmas season. You would be fined literal money, penalized. Then we looked at how later in life, later in life, later in American history, things are looking very grim for the nation, and popular authors begin to pen stories that are very imagination-driven and and then picturesque that become paintings and photos and magazines that, as we explained, they design and create an American Christmas. And so in that, in that, that happening, Christmas is becoming established as an American holiday. Then, of course, we said it becomes a legal holiday. And so let, let's move on a little bit more recent as we just keep moving into history, closer and closer to us. And this is going to get to the core of my point within the message that we're just kind of knocking a little bit on so far. Now, right now, now, you, now stay with me because you think, well, why in the world are you jumping over here? You're going to know. Right now, you can Google. Well, let's look at this. Where's my page three? I don't want to get out of order. Yeah, I'm okay. You can Google photographs of Hitler attending something very interesting. Now, this is perplexing. When I first came across it, I'm like, what? How in the world is this justified? I can get Christianity like slapping baby Jesus on a manger with a bunch of dirty donkeys and camels, which isn't even real anyway. It's not even what happened. I can understand that justification. But how in the world did Hitler have an annual Nazi military Christmas party in the late 1930s? What? Wait a minute. Impossible, right? You would think. But if you can, again, you can look this up right now and, and find a lot, of, a lot of articles written about it ever since then. This was an annual event. This was not one time and uh, we made a mistake. This would happen every year with the Nazi military party. You can see image of them gathering gifts for children. And before this, going back a few years in 1921, Hitler openly condemned, quote, the cowardly Jews for breaking the world liberator on the cross, end quote. And he swore that he would, quote, not rest until the Jews lay shattered on the ground, end quote. Now, anyone who knows anything about the Holocaust, and you likely know more about it than me, know what happened. Well, how, how would he say this during a Christmas gathering if Christmas is about the Jewish Messiah and he hates Jews? Makes no sense. Well, to him, that's not who Jesus was. Jesus was a world liberator killed on the cross by the evil Jews. 
It's recorded that after his speech during these Christmas parties, the crowd sang holiday carols and national hymns around a Christmas tree before gift-giving. Now let's continue this brief illustration. It does have a point. In 1933, Germans recognized that Christmas never was about a Jewish Messiah anyway. So they took no issue with its celebration, but rather it was a reason to celebrate what? Where we started at the beginning, the winter solstice, just like endless generations had before them. Now again, the winter solstice is not evil. It's not pagan. It is an event. Call it what we want to. It is a creation time where days move from, long, from shorter to longer. It's just factual. But when it becomes prescribed, a way of, of, of being a celebratory marked time where people do certain things to commemorate it and worship it and attribute their, their adoration to the returning of the great sun, or in many cases it played out, of course, as we talked about, to sun gods, and then eventually to Jesus, the sun, the Messiah, light of the world, a light has come. Then we're talking idolatry. So as they're doing this, they didn't have a problem with celebrating Christmas. It's, it's just what other, other cultures had done so many years before them. They knew it was always about the reemergence of the sun, and even Santa was, was reinvented to be an Odin character. Remember the story of Odin we talked about who flew through the skies at night? with a wagon, and he was what? The god uh, Odin was looking down on humanity to determine who was bad and needed punishment and who was good and needed favor. Oh, it's just Santa. The kids love him. And we think it's just innocent foolishness. It is foolishness, but I would say it's not innocent. So what do we do with this? Can this be justified too? Well, that's, again, here's, here's the Christian majority. Well, that's not Christmas. That's not really Christmas anyway. He killed the Christ child. You know, Christianity. As he, but see, he saw Christianity as, as a white race, uh, what is the word again? World liberator. That he he believed he was he believed he was doing God's will. You can read endless quotes, and I'm no history buff. I don't know hardly anything, but he he was known to always be the one who propped up the God of the Bible from his perspective, from his vantage point. He was doing God's will, as as twisted as that is and mind boggling. But can his Christmas, can a Nazi Christmas party be justified? Or, of course, the, Chris, the Christian church say, that's not Christmas. Why not? <laughs> Again, can traditions always simply be deemed accept, acceptable on our side if we Christianize them according to our own definition? What about what the Christian church has done with Halloween? I already talked about it a little bit. Well, we don't do Halloween that's that's satanic. That's what the world does. We do trunk or treat. We do a harvest festival, and we only allow Disney characters and Bible figures in our harvest festival. And we hand out tracks with candy, okay? 
<laughs> it's the perfect example of how the church takes something evil and sprinkles some Jesus on it, and suddenly they believe it makes it good. It's bad doctrine. We like these things even, even though we know they're wrong, so we tweak them a little bit, put some Bible verses on them, and poof, a Christian celebration emerges. It's true. Same with Christmas. Same with Christmas if you're willing to look into it from a non-biased, I'm-going-to-do-Christmas-anyway perspective. Because if you are set, as I said earlier, if you're set, Christmas is fine, it's about Jesus, God loves it, and you'll never change my mind, friend, there's no reason to look into it. There is no reason to look into it. I would assume if you've made it this far, you're okay. So was the Nazi Christmas acceptable? They had a tree, gifts, caroling, meals, candles, decorations. They even had a a non-Jewish version of Jesus himself, the world liberator. He came to earth, and we're here on his side. Is this Christmas too? No. You see what I'm saying? We've, We've said it's just all about what you make it, and they're not really doing what we're doing. Our version's okay, but not theirs. And that gets real muddy, real confusing. So let's move on a little deeper. So how could ones who so hated the Jews despise a Jewish rabbi? Let's let's continue. I'm going to need a drink for this one because this one's going to hurt. If you identify as a as a as just a, a normal majority American Christian, this one's going to sting. So I'm I'm just going to take a breath before I say it. But I believe it's so th- it's so true. I have to. How could ones who so hated the Jews despise a Jewish rabbi? I didn't even word that correctly. How how could the ones who hated the Jews embrace Jesus? I'll, I'll, I'll word it like this. I, I, forgive me for not saying that correctly. How could they... Well, they, they despised the Jewish rabbi. They, they were divorced from that. So they made Jesus this world liberator, white man, which he wasn't even, which is crazy. He's trying to perpetuate a perfect race, which is what they said they were doing, of course, on God's behalf, to be his perfect people, to eradicate the world of all the dogs. Well, how, how, could, these, how could these men that were, were without any argument depraved, how could they do a celebratory festival about a man that, biblically speaking, was a Jewish rabbi. Let me put it that way. How could they do that? That sounds, I mean, that's the ultimate foolishness. How? Un- that doesn't even seem possible, right? I would say they do it the same way that the church has divorced the true identity of the rabbi Yeshua. The same way that Hitler and his army made Jesus to be who they wanted him to be. I would say the Christian church majority is doing and has done the same thing. 
And I know that hurts. I had to face that myself. I had to get through that and wrestle through that and come out the other side and still be alive. To surrender my Christian American Western culture, New Testament Jesus that came to institute a new religion. He didn't do that. He didn't birth the church in Acts 2. The church was pre-existent. What? When the Bible talks about me being grafted in and I'm just the same as the children of Yahweh Elohim, that the Bible means that? Jesus didn't just come to save me, a lowly sinner on the cross, and spill his blood all over me so that my sins can be washed away and I live in a mansion in heaven forever? All these things, I've wrestled through them all to to let the Word of God tell me who Yeshua the Son is and was. So my, my presentation is this. The audacity of what Hitler did, and that's why this is even in here, is, is no different in my perspective, more extreme perhaps. The Christian church has been much more subtle, but they too have removed the Jewish rabbi-ness, <laughs> essence, of Yeshua, Jesus. He's been divorced from his true identity today. Yeshua came, we're told clearly in the scriptures, that he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, period. That's why he came. It came out of his mouth. In the absolute only way any of us are ever getting into that fold is by acknowledging in repentance and turning the Teshuvah reality of, of confessing our sinful behavior, our, our condition that's rebellious, hard-hearted, stiff-necked, Gentile people who are not a people who have been made a people. Let us simplify. Who are the Gentiles? The Goyim. It's not some evil sect of people. It's the nations. It's the nations. It's the scattering of the nations that Yahweh himself did. Because we were a rebellious people. Humanity rebelled against the ways of God. And it's only by his mercy and, and the extension of himself via his son as the Emmanuel God-man reality to invite us back into something we do not deserve to be a part of. It's the Goyim reality. The Gentiles are simply the ones that choose the ways of the nations instead of the ways that were established by Yahweh Elohim for his specific called out, holy, consecrated ecclesia people. And we have to get that through our minds as we bring this part to a close. We have to get it through our minds as, as, as so many people that I know that I love so dearly that, that say, this Joel is not for me. You're confused. I'm fine. If that's what you want, go for it. But paraphrased, I just want to be a, a, a New Testament Christian who says, I asked Jesus into my heart. Now I am in him and I'm just waiting for Beulah land. I read his word, I pray, I sing worship songs, I'm a good person, I'm moral, I commune with the Father. But there's nothing else to do other than bask in his mercy and grace and wait for the, the sweet by and by. 
And friends, I'm saying that we have been invited into the feasts of Yahweh Elohim right here, right now. They were before. They will be in the future, which I will show you in the text in, in coming parts. And it's extended to us right now, right now, to be an identifiable people that we are told in the Scriptures that that is what will set us apart, a set-apart holy people. Yahweh said, be holy like I'm holy. How do we do that? Holiness is a consecrated, set-apart thing. Yahweh is holy because he is the what? The capital E Elohim of all little E Elohims. He is the preeminent God of all gods, the Lord of all lords, the King of all kings. He is Lord over all, preeminent, distinct, distinguishable, holy, consecrated, set apart, and different from everything and everyone else. And he has said what? Be holy like that, like me. So what do we do? We keep the feasts of the Lord that he gave us to beautifully represent a marked, set apart people awaiting a culmination of the ages, which is coming, where we'll do it still. There will not be Christmas in New Jerusalem, friends. There won't be Advent in New Jerusalem. There won't be Santa. There won't be manger scenes. There will be a king seated upon a throne... The millennial kingdom, we will read this text and talk about it. I'm surprised how many people don't know about this, just like I didn't for over 40 years of my life, that we will be doing Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths in the millennial kingdom, friends. And a curse comes to those who will not. So, friends, we have been invited to leave behind the festivals of men and all the traditions therein, and exchange them for the feast of Yahweh Elohim that have been beautifully delivered to us through the Emmanuel God-man to say you do not have to be an individual roaming the desert by yourself anymore. I want to make you a people of my Father's possession. And that's why Yeshua came, not just to die on the cross, come into your wretched heart of stone that Ezekiel says has to come out, and give you a mansion in heaven. He came to invite you into and bring you into a fold of Yahweh Elohim's people. His own possession. And it is a capital P people, a capital N nation of children of the one true God. So friends, this is another biblical challenge to Christmas because Christmas is fading away. But the feasts of Yahweh Elohim said will never pass throughout all generations. We can have one or the other. I pray that the Father stirs in your heart as we read these scriptures in the upcoming part. We're going to look at Jeremiah 10, Deuteronomy 18, others that I can't find right now and I won't dig around to distract you even more. But please come back for the rest of this series. We're going to get into the second segment, the second component 
We're going to move past the the traditions of Christmas and move into the real. We're going to move into the real. We've talked about the fake bowl of fruit on the table that's enticing and looks like you can eat it, but when you bite it, it has no nutritional value, and we're moving to the banquet. We're moving to the table. We're moving to the Father's table where he says, Look what I have made for you. So, friends, come back. This is the Path to Zion podcast. We're rediscovering the ancient way right here, right now. Reach out to us at pathdesignpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. Subscribe on here if you'd like. Pass this along if it means anything to you. I hope and pray that it does. Thank you for watching. Amen.